Hey, this is Andy Jenkins. I am with you on the Overflow Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Uh, today, I have got this topic I, I want to talk to you about that has a bit of a weird title, but I'm going to keep the title because this is the title that you see. This is the reference. This is the name you see of this thing all throughout the Bible. It, it just kind of appears in these random places, um, very, uh, I would say, very specifically. Um, and it's referring to this incredible story of the father of our faith. Now, um, we trace our faith back to Abraham. I, I mean, you know, you read through the book of Romans and it talks about he is the model of the faith because it wasn't justification by the things that he did. It was justification by faith. It wasn't something he earned. It was something that was granted to him. And so there's this phrase that Paul uses and he uses it in the book of Galatians. And, and, and I'm going to read the verse to you. I'm going to highlight it to you as I go through it. And it's this phrase that I really want to lock down onto and want to maybe flesh out what that means and flesh out really what is this life that you're called into? What is this goodness that you're granted? Uh, in the last episode, we talked about really the idea of salvation and we talked about the word sozo and talked about how uh, the things that Jesus has done, wow, he's been way more successful, way more powerful, way more thorough in his work than what you and I might have thought, what we might have imagined, what what might have even been taught to us, what well intended. Uh, he's been just so grandiose in everything that he's done, and he's uh, literally on the cross by the shedding of his blood reconciled all things to himself, all things, whether that was uh, physical health or spiritual freedom, uh, forgiveness, guilt, shame, uh, relational strife, um, things that we didn't even mention, you know, all all things. And today, I really kind of want to wrap on top of that because um, in the book of Galatians, Paul outlines and he locks onto the specific phrase that I, I want to mention it. And then we want to go dig into the scripture and find it from different stories and flesh out what it means. All right, deal? So here we go. Um, he, he says this in Galatians 3.13. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, you, you know that. Um, in fact, in other passages, Paul says something like Second Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin, um, Jesus, to become sin for us, to become sin for you, sin for me, so that we could become the righteousness of God. So... There is what uh, one of the great reformers, um, goodness, man, this is the 500 years or, or so since the Great Reformation with Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 Theses on the Castle Church there in Wittenberg where uh, he had this idea that we don't earn salvation. Uh, he had this idea that salvation is given, that we don't earn it by penance and we don't earn it by the things that we do by giving enough gifts through the church. That's kind of what the maybe the Catholic system had gotten into at the point, um, but but I would remind you we can do that in any church. It doesn't have to be Catholic. We we people. I grew up Baptist. We had our own list of things that you have to do. You know, now uh, in any church you can create that where it's salvation becomes based on something you do. And and Martin Luther had this idea. He called it the glorious exchange or the beautiful exchange, depending on how you translate that from German. Um, this incredible exchange where Christ takes all of his glory, and He gifts that to you, and He takes all of your sin, 
and he puts that upon himself. And this is the idea that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In Galatians 3.13 and 2 Corinthians where he says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. It's this exchange. You, you've got his glory. He has your cursed. Now, here it is. He says, he's quoting the Old Testament, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, here's the reason. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, here's a great phrase right here, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham might come to you. The blessing of Abraham might come to me so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ became a curse for us so that the reason was the driving thing is so that through Christ, in Christ, the blessing of Abraham can come upon you. Now, this blessing of Abraham, uh, the first time I heard someone mention it, uh, he didn't really describe it. He he was a different point that he was making, but he talks about this blessing of Abraham. And I, I thought, man, that is the weirdest, that is the most oddball phrase that, Jesus died so that this blessing of Abraham, like, I don't even know what this thing is, like, somehow, but it seems so important because he's saying, like, the reason he died was so that, the reason he took your curse was so that, the reason that he did this glorious exchange was so that this blessing of Abraham that, by the way, we're not even really sure what it means, is, um, is now predominant in your life, that this thing could come to you, um, now, here's what's amazing. If you if you look in the Bible, you look in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this refrain about uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, uh, when God appears to Moses, he says, um, uh, there's this refrain throughout the book of Exodus where he uh, affirms that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reveals himself through those family relationships. Isaac is uh, really blessing um, Jacob. So he's blessing what would be Abraham's grandson. He's blessing him. And he says, just in Genesis 28, 4, may God give, get this, may God give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Like, may, may God give, may He continue to gift the blessing of Abraham to you. May, may this thing, like they knew what this phrase was. They had this idea where it was fleshed out, this blessing of Abraham. Now, this blessing of Abraham is it's not just something for the biological sons of Abraham. This is something like, like in back in Galatians chapter four, um, it says verse four of chapter four. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law. So Jesus was born under the rules, under the legalism. Jesus did not live in a time of grace. Jesus is completing, fulfilling the law for us so that we can live in a time of grace. He's born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we're about to be sons and daughters tied into this line, tied into this blessing of Abraham, tied into this inheritance. 
And he says, verse 6, Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And I could say, or a daughter, depending on what translation you're reading here. And if you're a son or daughter, then you are an heir through God of this blessing. Right there. What it says. And it reminds us, I'm just kind of hopping around all in the chapter right here. Chapter 3, verse 16. Now these promises... These promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, okay, which you're now grafted into. I am now grafted into. I am and you are now put into the line of this blessing of Abraham. So the question then is, as we start describing this out, what is this blessing of Abraham? What is this? Curse has been removed. Now you're put into this line of this blessing of Abraham. Jesus died on the cross, took your curse. Now you have, Martin Luther says, this wonderful, glorious, incredible exchange. What is it? And so let's start fleshing it out. Maybe let's look at the life of Abraham and let's see what Abraham uh, was involved in. And and so now I'm actually flipping through my Bible. If you've got it, you might want to go to um, Genesis chapter 12 where his story really starts and um, you know, by the way, I'll, I'll put some of the references here in the show notes where you can listen. Uh, I understand uh, some of you are listening while you're running or you're listening while you're driving or listening. I, I've got a friend who listens while he drifts off to sleep. Um, that, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Like I, I actually help put somebody to sleep. But I, I'll, I'll give you the references there so that you can look it up later if you want to and you can just kind of enjoy the story. I'm, I'm just kind of flipping. That's what you hear right there. That's, that's, that's the paper Bible right there. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is before his name's even changed, go from your country, your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. So there's the start of it. Blessing of Abraham. I bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I'll curse. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we're grafted into something that's meant to bless Everyone right there. Now, if we read, here's what's amazing. Um, in verse 14, Abraham, we, we, we put together, is that his story starts when he's 75 years old. Um, we, we put that together from just looking at all the numbers that come in here in the story. Here's, here's what's incredible. He starts when he's 75. Um, but in verse 14, we read when Abram entered Egypt, there, there was a famine in the land. So God sends him to a land which he should have stayed in during the famine. In fact, we're going to read this story in a little while. We'll reference it if you keep reading through the scripture where Isaac is in the land of the Philistines during the year of a famine. And he actually he actually sows seed during the year of the famine. And he reaps 100 fold during the famine. So maybe Abraham should have stayed put, but but he but he didn't. He left and he went down to Egypt. Uh, and when he's there, the Egyptians saw that the woman who was with him, Sarah, his wife, is very beautiful. And so he told them, verse 13, Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that your life, my life, may be spared um, because of your sake. It's, it's bizarre uh, that he makes this error. Uh, and, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. Uh, he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, 
camels. Uh, all of this uh, bounty, these finances are, are given to Abraham um, be, because of that um, when he's 75 years old. Now, here's what I want you to see about that. We'll come back to this story in a little bit because uh, I kind of want to keep my topics separate. And, and what I'm arguing here is the first thing that comes in the blessing of Abraham is this youth and vitality, um, this vigor, um, this um, energy that sustains you, this health, wellness is maybe the word I want to lack onto. Um, okay, so Sarah is his contemporary. She's right around the same age that he is. We read from the scripture that she's about nine years um, different. And and here's what I want you to see is Pharaoh actually saw Sarah and took her into his harem when she was in her 60s. Now think about that. Um, Pharaoh can have any woman that she wants, uh, that he wants, and he latches onto and takes an, what would be in our case an elderly woman who is uh, nearing retirement age. And she is one of the most beautiful women that he sees and he wants to take her into the harem. You see, like there's this youth, there's this vitality, there's this vigor. In fact, we see the same thing happen. If you just flip to Genesis chapter 20, um, there is another king. His name is Abimelech. And the exact same thing happens. Um, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negev. I'm just reading in Genesis chapter 20. He, he lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he journeyed, sojourned to Gerar. Verse 2, Abraham said of Sarah's wife that she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. He, he took her into his harem. Now, the story here says that God came to Abimelech by dream and says, Whoa, 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 you're a dead man. You are taking another man's wife. No, 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 no. And so he, he releases her. Abraham is confirmed by God here in verse 7 to be a prophet. So, so showing that even uh, religious people can mess up. Even people that know God, who follow God, who hear His voice can, can mess up and, and often need people speaking correction and truth into, into their lives, into our lives. But, but here's what's amazing is, again, we see this youth, this vitality, this vigor where twice this woman who is older in age is taken into two different harems. Um, now, interestingly enough, both times that this happens, um, the kings and the pharaoh who take Sarah into the harem, they, they both give Abraham all of these gifts and he becomes rich. And What's amazing in this is, is we actually read in the first story, we read in the, the first story where it happens, um, that there is this uh, plague that, that seems to come on. Um, there is this uh, issue um, that seems to happen, uh, and God starts punishing like Abimelech, um, and he's going to bring this plague, but he gets Abraham to to pray for him. And when Abraham prays for him, then, then it's abated. Like somehow what happens is Abraham messes up. It's, it's not Abimelech's fault. It's not Pharaoh's fault. Yet somehow, even though he messes up, even though he's at fault and the other guys are acting in their innocence, somehow God is so has his heart torn, turned towards Abraham. Like the blessing is going to be so rich on his life. The favor is going to be so abundant on his life that 
even when he does wrong, someone else takes the punishment and he's still blessed. And, and I know when you put it in human terms, that sounds like such an unfair thing. And it sounds like such an off-the-wall statement. Yet, I, I would remind you, like this is the essence of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, is that even when you mess up, even when I mess up, that someone else has taken the fall. That someone else <clears throat> has taken the punishment. Someone else has taken everything that that really is our fault. It is the just due penalty of our sin. Like Isaiah says, he was he was wounded for, for our transgressions. He was um, pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement um, that should have been on us was 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 put on him. And because of that, we we received the blessing. It, it's it's amazing. Um, so another thing that you see here about this youth health, vitality. In Genesis 4.14, uh, now Abraham had taken his nephew Lot with him when he departed his family's house. And what happened is at some point they were so blessed. We, we read in Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, Abraham was rich in livestock, silver, and gold. They had so many things that the land couldn't contain them. And so they separated. And it's one of those classic stories where Abraham looks at Lot and he says, hey, look, um, we've got too many people, too much livestock, too much abundance, too much stuff. Imagine that. Too many things, even though they're sojourners who've left their household. And he looks up and says, look, you choose one direction, you go, and I'll choose, I'll just go the other direction. And so Lot goes one direction, he chooses the best land. Abraham chooses just to go the opposite direction really what amounts to, to kind of a desert area, and God's still going to bless him in that. The, the side that Lot goes to happens to be very close to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the side that he goes to happens to be where these five kings come, and they raid and they take Lot away. Now, when that happens in Genesis chapter 14, Verse 14, when Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318, and he goes after these five kings. He he divides forces, he pursues them, and then, verse 16, he brings back all the possessions. He also brought back his kinsmen Lot with all of his possessions and all the women and all the people. So he goes and he not only, now get this, this is old age, he rescues Lot, he rescues Lot, he gets back all of Lot's possessions, all the things that were taken from Lot, plus he strips everything from the five kings. Now, he does this, and, and he has this power when he is, by this time, late 70s, early 80s. Now, just think about how, how many of you would be threatened if a guy that was in his 70s or 80s decided to pick a fight with you? Probably not many. I mean, that's where you defer and and you just kind of back away graciously, right? Yet, yet here we have this renewal of this youth. Okay, this is just like the book of Isaiah says: those who wait upon the Lord will mount up like wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Their youth will be renewed. Like there is this health, there's this vigor, there is this vitality, this part of the blessing of Abraham. Uh, now, the most famous thing that happens to Abraham, of course, is not what I've told you. The most famous thing that happens is, and he's he's in his old age, 
God has promised him that he is going to be uh, the father of many nations, yet he doesn't have any offspring. And so we read finally that it's promised that he is going to have a son. He's going to have an heir. And and I would remind you, you probably picked up on the story in Genesis chapter 21-1 where it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord promised that offspring, Isaac, was going to come through his wife, through Sarah. He visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. I'm just reading the scripture there. Verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham was 100 years old. Um, now, we read the story, if you flip around in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, um, when, when, when Sarah is told that she's going to have this child, we, we read right there that um, Abraham actually says, shall, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Uh, so she's 90 or 91. She's about nine years behind Abraham in age. She's 90 or 91 when she bears the son Isaac. I mean, we're talking about like miraculous renewal of youth. And, and I would remind you too, like this is not the first child that Abraham is born. Um, when it was told that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations, um, the first thing that he did was, you know, in verse uh, uh, chapter 16, we read that uh, Abraham's wife had borne no children. She had a female Egyptian servant, Hagar, who probably came from that uh, trip that he made to Egypt, which he should not have. He should have stayed in the land where there was the famine. And Sarah said, look, the Lord's prevented me from having children. Go into my servant, and it may be that we'll obtain a child by her. Ha- having a child through your handmaiden, through your servant, on your behalf was in that culture, as weird as it sounds now, it was an acceptable way to have a child. And and I'm not here to kind of talk about the merits or demerits of that. What I'm simply saying is that that time, we know that Abraham is late 70s, early 80s, and he has born a natural child. He could still do the things that were required to successfully, successfully bear children. So, the first aspect of this blessing of Abraham is it's simply this, that there is this youth, there is this vitality, there is this vigor. I had believed when I turned 40 that uh, my body was just falling apart because I had turned 40. At that time, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I had, uh, in the middle of the night, I'd wake up two, three, four times to go to the restroom, and each time I did, my bones would creak almost like I had arthritis. I could barely even walk. I had to hang on to the side of the bed. It, it was it was bizarre. I was aging way too fast. I uh, had just these digestive issues that just racked my body. My brain was kind of foggy, cloudy, over and over all all the time. I couldn't sleep at night. I could crash at any point during the day, and I had in my mind just said, "It's because I'm getting older." The, the problem with that is when you look in the Scripture, you can't back up that argument with anything that you see. You see stories of guys like Moses who doesn't even receive the call um, from God to go do the great work of deliverance until, until he is well beyond midlife. Um, in, in our culture. 
um, he's in his 40s, right? You, you don't see um, guys like Joshua and Caleb. You, you don't see them start doing their great work of leading the children of Israel into the promised land until these guys are in their 80s. And, and really, it's at that point where Caleb is about reading the Scripture. He's about 83 years old when they've taken over the Promised Land. They've, they've conquered everything. And at that point, Caleb goes and reminds Joshua, Hey, Moses actually gave me this mountain, this inheritance. And if you don't need me for any more fighting, I'm going to go take, and I'm not asking you for any fighting men or any help, I will go take and I will drive out the people who live there on my own. I'll go take the land for myself, and he goes when he's in his 80s and fights and wins. We, we read when he's 120, Moses still has his youth, his vigor, his vitality. He doesn't wind down in old age. Like, that's something that we've inserted into our narrative. That's something we've inserted into our story. When we read the scripture, there is this idea that. Jesus renews all things. If anyone's in Christ, as Scripture says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old is gone. All things are new. And the Scripture continually reminds us that that part of you that is new is not just your forgiveness of sin. It's not just your mental capacity to see, sense, think, feel, guilt, condemnation, and shame differently. To, to see those things from the redeemed side instead of the unredeemed side, what we see is that that even affects your physical vitality, your physical well-being. That is part of the blessing of Abraham, of the curse that Jesus bore for you on the cross, so that, according to, just kind of going back to the beginning of the episode here, so that, going back to Galatians 3, 13 and 14, so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon you who are, an heir of his seed. Well, there, there's there's more to it. Let, let me let me go on. Let me kind of give you maybe point number two. I've got three. Okay, so number one is this youth, vitality, this health, wellness, vigor. You're not designed to wind down. You're designed like a, a fine wine to get better. Um, number two. Number two is this idea of abundance, of financial provision. Now, I, I know that when I teach this, uh, a lot of times um, people will say that, in fact, I've, I've just been told before, well, you're just kind of a name it, claim it, prosperity type of preacher. And I would say, well, n- not not really. I'm not naming it and claiming it, first of all. And I'm not saying God is required um, to do anything what I am doing is simply pointing you to the Scripture and say, hey, go wrestle with this, because if you're not going to wrestle with this, what you're arguing for, or if you disagree with this, what you're arguing for is the right to be unhealthy and for the right to be poor, or for the right to be um, diseased and have bad health, and you're arguing for the right to have lack instead of having enough or having lack instead of having plenty. Okay, so just kind of, uh, if you're arguing against this teaching, kind of look at the opposite side and just say, okay, if I'm arguing against this, what is it that I'm actually arguing for? What What is it that I'm opposing? And by opposing this, what is it that I'm actually endorsing? And so let me just point you to what, what the Scripture shows you here. 
and then you just wrestle with it, and that would be maybe enough here. So in Genesis chapter 13, too, I've already read the verse here. Uh, let me just kind of flip back. It, it tells us this after Abraham was called. It says, now uh, Abraham went up from Egypt. So that's he goes there after the famine. He and his wife and all that he had, a lot with him. Now Abraham was very rich. Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver, in gold. And here's what I see right here. Well, some people will say, "Well, Abraham was probably already rich when God called him." I I don't know because he left his father's house, so he would have left everything. So he would have, by leaving his father's house, he would have been omitted from um, probably from that inheritance that he would have received, even if his father was rich. And and here's the deal: if Abraham was already rich. God had said that he would bless Abraham. So think about how radical blessing on top of that would be because we see just this abundance start flowing that I'm going to show you. And if Abraham wasn't rich, which I don't think initially he was, I think he starts accumulating. I think God starts pouring things in his way. And I think God pours things his way even when he messes up. Like even in that episode where he passed Sarah off as his sister to Pharaoh, in that instance, Pharaoh gifts him with lots of stuff. He gifts him with resources even when Abraham messed up. Um, we, we continue reading the story, and we read that in Genesis 4.14, 4, you know, when uh, the five kings come over and they take over Lot, and they take all of his things. Abraham then goes and he fights these kings, and he takes back all that is Lot's gifts, that's a lot, and then he takes the wealth of the five kings. Like, somehow, there is this continual blessing that comes regardless of what the circumstance is. If he does wrong, uh, in Genesis 13... Passes Sarah as his sister, he's blessed. If he um, is done wrong too, somebody takes a family member, Genesis 14, he's blessed. Uh, in Genesis 14, 17, we see when he's returning, um, he, he defeats one of the kings. And then we see Melchizedek, the king of Salem, comes and blesses Abraham. Like, he meets a messenger of God, a priest of the Most High God there, just in the middle of nowhere, randomly seeming this blessing continues to fall like every single place that Abraham goes. Whatever's going on, whatever's happening, blessing continues coming his way. Uh, we read in Genesis chapter 20, um, this happens again. This is the story where uh, King Abimelech takes Sarah again because Abraham has said that she is his sister. And Abimelech blesses him with physical supply, physical resources, over and over and over and over again, you see this idea that Abraham is rich and he's made richer, he's blessed, he's made more blessed. And even in, get this, even in the New Testament, there's this idea that God is going to supply everything we need so that anytime we need something in order to do any kind of good work, that we have it. In fact, Paul just writes this. Paul, the same one that writes and references the blessing of Abraham in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, all grace, so that having all sufficiency, meaning all things, at all times that you may abound in every good work, that you can do every good thing. It just goes on, verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way, 
to be generous in every way, which produces a thanksgiving to God. In the book of Deuteronomy, we actually read that it's God who gives you the power to get wealth. Like over and over, there is this idea that physical resources are part of the blessing. You know, if we want to just look at Exodus as the model of redemption, which would be a great thing to discuss in another episode. When the children of Israel were enslaved, they were poor. They didn't own anything. And when they left, in a night, God redeemed them. When they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and then the angel of death comes over, and then Pharaoh drives them out and says, Get out. Go. You're free. When they go, they take the bounty of Egypt with them. Uh, Literally, the story says that The Egyptians hand them their stuff. They hand them their wealth. They hand them their things such that when they're in the desert, when they're traveling through the wilderness, they all of a sudden have resources to do things like build a golden calf. They they can use those resources for evil, or they can um, do things like give so lavishly for the tabernacle, for the giving of the tabernacle. That also happens so that Moses and the priests actually have to go to the people and say, hey, stop bringing stuff. You've given way more than our ministry can actually use. Like, we can't manage the stuff anymore. I mean, can you imagine a church or a nonprofit ministry going to all the donors, supporters, and saying, hey, stop, stop bringing stuff. We've got enough, and we'll let you know when we need more. Like, like that's the kind of abundance. It's not abundance just for you to hold on to. It is abundance to share radically. It is abundance to gift And to give to, as the model of Abraham, okay, the blessing of Abraham comes to you. Um, Look at it. God said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you can bless other people. And God wasn't just blessing him with a good feeling. God wasn't just blessing him with spiritual fervor. He wasn't just blessing him with um, pleasant thoughts. He wasn't just blessing him with a clear conscience, though he blesses him with those things so that he can impart those relational gifts to other people. He also blesses him with he blesses him with this physical sustenance with these resources. Now, let, let me give you uh, maybe the third thing that I see in the blessing of Abraham, just as my working from home here, the kids uh, kind of coming in and and joining me for for the podcast here. Um, so maybe you'll hear them there in the, in the background, kind of the chatter, the laugh. Um, the third thing is this: He does bless you with spiritual purpose. Okay, and and I want to mention that, and and I, and I want to show that. And I want to kind of simultaneously say, hey, this is where we often stop. Like this is where we, I mean, I mean, we get it that the blessing of Abraham, I mean, he becomes the model of our faith, right? Like we just read through the book of Romans and we see that, um, we, we see that very clearly, like it's not something we earn. It's something that we're gifted. It's not salvation, something that is a wage. It's something that, that is a gift. And the scripture continually takes us back to this idea. It takes us back to this idea that we are justified like Abraham with this spiritual, with this spiritual vitality. That's a blessing. That's a gift. 
like Romans 4.1. What, what shall we say then? Was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, according to his ability, according to what he could do in his physical strength. If Abraham was justified by works, if he was blessed by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, because what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as something that is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted. You see, like, there is this spiritual vitality. There is this spiritual aliveness that comes. And so I I don't want to exclude that, or I don't want to um, insinuate that this blessing of Abraham is something that's just youth, uh, vitality, which is point number one, or physical blessing, money, sustenance, stuff. I, my goodness, like if you know, I, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking um, of the great stuff the Lord has has gifted me before. You know, um, there were times when He's gifted us um, even real estate that we were able to buy well below market value that. Um, by buying real estate well below market value, we suddenly had um, we suddenly had provision. We suddenly had resources that we never thought we would have. By starting a home based business, my wife Christy stumbled into, uh, and I say stumbled kind of in quotation marks because we knew it was a setup. The Lord did it that she stumbled into blessing. That was greater than what we could, could ask, think, or imagine. Um, by um, uh, way of several people, I, I've actually been given vehicles before, cars um, before. And, and, and I look back, I, I've been gifted trips uh, before. And, and I'm looking back, and you, you can look at things too. And it's, sometimes it's small as somebody paying for your dinner. It's small as uh, even free coffee at Starbucks, where there's this hand of favor where the Lord gifts resources so that you can then bless and gift and impart some of these things to other people. To where Sure, you keep and you enjoy some of it for yourself, but you also gift and give to other people. And, and, I, and I want you to see that it's not just spiritual. It is all of this. Now, this was all meant to pass on to Abraham's offspring. I've, I've already mentioned that. Uh, and, and Abraham, honestly, he passes off some of the bad to his offspring too. In fact, if you read, uh, let me flip to Genesis chapter 26, you, you do see that Isaac, um, he does the exact same thing that Abraham did. And he settles in to Gerar, uh, which if, if you're reading that, and you're listening, you're probably going, uh-oh, this is where Abraham was when he passed off uh, Sarah as his sister for the second time to Abimelech. And we see Isaac actually do the same thing to a king Abimelech. And in the same story, he messes up in the same way, and he is blessed in the same way. So we can impart bad things. We can pass on bad behaviors and actions and activities to our children. We can also pass on good things like this blessing. Here's what's interesting in the same story, Genesis chapter 26. There was famine in the land, and and the Lord actually appears to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in this land. Like God had to tell him, because remember Abraham in the famine went down to Egypt in 
Genesis chapter 12, which he probably should not have. And so um, God tells him, hey, stay here. I'm going to multiply you in the middle of this. I'm, I'm going to multiply you, verse 4, as the stars of the heaven. And I'm going to do it in this land. And, and here's what's incredible. In the famine, verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land. In the famine, even amidst messing up and passing off his wife as his sister, which God redeems, he restores. Um, Isaac sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year 100-fold. 100-fold. You know, and you look at it and you realize, wow, the wealth that everybody else took notice because they, they weren't reaping 100-fold in the year of a famine. Um, everybody noticed. Everybody saw that it came from the source. Now, the good things of Abraham have been passed down to you, too. Uh, because uh, Galatians 3.29 that talks about this blessing of Abraham says you are Christ's um, and if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to this promise um, and, and as I read to you earlier Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 um, your sons your daughters and God has sent the spirit of sonship, daughtership into your hearts to where you cry out, Abba, Father. You cry out to your heavenly Father and He passes this blessing down onto you're no longer a slave, no longer tied to the world system of what it demands of you behave in a certain way, then you get a certain thing. You act in a certain way, you are granted a specific this, that, or the other. He says, no, 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 no. You're no longer a slave, you're a son, you're a child of the king. And if you are that, then you are an heir. And if you are an heir, then yours, yours is the inheritance, yours is the blessing. Wow. All right, you see it? You you see the goodness that's there. My prayer for you as you sign off, as I sign off, as we take a break until I come back at it next time. And maybe next time we'll go um, maybe to the book of First John and look at the exact same thing in a slightly different way, you know. My prayer as a sign off is that the Lord bless you, that He keep you, that He is gracious to you, that you see His face of favor shining on you, that you, as you go through this week, that you feel your youth renew, that you feel your physical body come alive, that those of you who are walking in great health, you feel even stronger, that those of you who feel wellness detours right now, that you feel sick, you feel beaten down, you feel tired, that suddenly you feel your body coming back alive, that you feel things restored that need to be restored, you feel things coming alive that need to be made alive, that you feel well, and that as you walk through life feeling well, you see the blessings, the physical blessings, the resources of heaven, the resources of the kingdom dropping down all around you in the form of money, in the form of food that you didn't expect, in the form of some major big resources that are given to you that you can then enjoy 
and that you can then have to bless other people. I'll see you again next time.